hi, uh, it's Elspeth Beard and uh, welcome to Ride and Talks, the BMW Motorrad podcast. And I'm here with uh, Andy Jukes. Greetings all. I hope you've been keeping safe and healthy at home during these challenging times and that you've been able to enjoy loads of podcasts and catch up on all those motorcycling books you've always promised yourself you'd read if you only had more time. If you haven't read Lone Rider by Elspeth Beard yet, then we've got a very special podcast for you. As the runaway successor, this recently published story of a unique and life-changing adventure that actually happened nearly 40 years ago has even surprised its author. The world was a very different place in 1982 when 23-year-old architecture student Elspeth Beard fired up her 1974 R60-6 Boxer BMW and left the bright lights of London behind for a two-year, 35,000-mile journey into the unknown. In doing so, she became the first British woman to ride a motorcycle around the world. Although she kept diaries of her amazing adventure, she put them away upon her return and forgot about them for nearly 30 years until a journalist commissioned a story about her original journey. This story caught the public imagination and was posted everywhere and really put Elspeth's overlanding exploits on the map. This was followed up with a short BMW Motorrad film, which actually brought her to the attention of a Hollywood producer, who suggested making a feature-length movie of her exploits. Whisked over to LA, Elspeth read the first script, which bore no real resemblance to her actual journey, but made her think that she really needed to get the whole trip down on paper, an authentic account, if you like, that told her story exactly how it happened. A book deal was subsequently struck, and Lone Rider was published in 2017. Much to her surprise, it's gone on to be a huge success in the mainstream as well as the adventure travel community. As well as running a busy architect's practice, Elspeth's in strong demand for talks, presentations and even book tours. She was happy to tell Ride and Talk how the bike, and the book, has changed her life. So great to have you here, or great to have me here at, at your architect's practice, rather, Elspeth. Um, the past couple of years, they've been a whirlwind of activity for you. So please tell me what's been going on in your life with the book and all of the other bits. Oh, it's been absolutely amazing. It really has. Um because, I mean, the book was published in 2017 and there was obviously a sort of hive of activity when it first came out. And I kind of assumed it would die down after, you know, six months or a year. But it's actually just gone gone even, it's just gone more and more. Um, and I've had an incredible time. Uh, I've been invited to all sorts of events and bike shows and giving talks and presentations. Um, I... And not only in the UK, all over Europe, um, and I did a, I've done two uh, book tours in America, and I'm doing another one as well, uh, coming up in May. So it's just been absolutely extraordinary, um, and I've been having actually a great time, which has been really good. Did you ever imagine the book would be such a success? Because it was a long time coming, and it, it might have never happened. I know. I, to be honest, I never ever imagined it would be, it would be as you know as well received as it had. Really, not in a million years. I've been, it just bowled over by, and it's just 
great with all the I've received you know so many letters and, and emails and cards from people and it's 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 just it's been absolutely yeah amazing especially as it all came from you know when I got back in 1984 there was very little interest in what I'd done um, and so I very much sort of parked it all away and and didn't you know do didn't even think about the trip at all for about 25 years um and so now for it all to sort of come back and and I do find it really odd that that a trip that I did in you know like 35 years ago now that at the time I did the trip it had this huge impact on my life uh, and changed the course of my life really and now, and then it kind of lies dormant for 35 years. And then now it's having a sort of another huge impact on, on my life all over again. It's just, I don't know, it's just very weird. Yeah, I mean, just to think that you sat on those diaries for the best part of three decades thinking no one was interested. Well, I nearly threw them away. I remember when I was moving out of London and I was moving to the water tower in the early 90s and I looked at this cardboard box that had all my diaries photos letters everything and it was literally my trip was in this box and I and I nearly put it on a skip and I thought well nobody wanted to know I haven't looked at it in 10 years and so I very very nearly threw it away and I just kind of just at the last minute I thought well you never know I might want want to look at it one day or something so I put it in the one last read yeah (laughs) I put it in the boot of my car but you know it's it's yeah it's incredible, isn't it? I mean, the, the last time we met was about four years ago when we were making that short film uh, about original overlanders and, and your around-the-world trip in the early 80s. Now, I've see, since seen that film pop up all over the place and people really seem to identify with the messages that it contained in there. Yeah, it's... it's they do, I think... I And I, I think there is a sort of... Um, a sort of interest in in trips that people did a long you know a long time ago because I think traveling uh, then was very you know it's not like it is now um and I think there is a lot of uh interest in in trips you know in people who did trips um long before you know the internet and technology and adventure bikes with all their their aluminium panniers and (laughs) all of this sort of stuff so um yeah, and I suppose it's yeah, and I suppose people find it sort of sort of inspirational, really, that um, that it was possible to to do a trip uh, all those years ago. You said that um, you get lots of messages and letters uh, from people who have read the book. What kind of things are they saying? Because. <laughs> I mean, you you were kind enough to send me an early proof uh, of the book before it was published, and, and I read it from start to finish over over the course of a weekend. And, and what I what I personally loved was it was so much more than a travelogue. It was also a, a history lesson to me about how the world was nearly forty years ago, seen through the eyes of a you know a twenty something year old woman travelling alone on a nineteen seventy four slash six. 
So what kind of feedback do you get now from people? Um, I get a mixture. Of, I mean, I get a whole range of... I mean, most of it is that people just thank me for, for you know, writing such an inspirational book and um, and for being so honest and, and, uh, and, you know, because I did write a very... Because I didn't want the book to just be, uh, you know, a motorcycle travel book about riding a bike. You know, it was about a lot more because the journey was a lot more for me. Um, than just riding a motorbike around the world. Um, but I've had some really strange ones. I had one, well, I've had lots of strange ones, but I had one where where this guy uh, said that he'd been trying to encourage his girlfriend to, you know, get into riding bikes for years and years and she just wouldn't do it. And then he bought her my book and she read it. And within a month, she passed her test. And as he was writing a letter, she apparently she was off in Europe, r- riding around Europe all on her own. And and so it's great. And I get lots of people saying, oh, I'm, I'm going to buy this book because I want to, you know, I want to see if my wife will, you know, will get interested in riding bikes and things. And, and I get emails and letters from people from, you know, from women uh, who who, um, you know, say that, that they'd always wanted to do a trip, but they've always been really nervous and really worried about doing it. But having read my book, they're leaving on their first trip, you know, like next month. So it's great. It's absolutely... It, I, I find it extraordinary that 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 my story and, and writing my book has had that impact on people. It's, I don't know, I still can't sort of really understand it it's weird what about people from outside of motorcycling who have who've come across the book and just looked at it as a as a as a piece of travel writing yeah i mean i think most of the most of the letters and correspondence i've got have been from motorcyclists i have to say um i've had one or two from you know from from women who have read it um and found it very inspirational or whatever. But uh, I would say most of the most of the correspondence I've I've had is you know is from other motorcyclists. And as you say, you've you've already done lots of speaking engagements across Europe, and you've, you've done some book tours. You're heading off to the states soon on on another book tour. Have you enjoyed the process of reconnecting with the motorcycling community, or, or perhaps you, you, there wasn't a community to, to connect with all those years ago? No, well, there kind of wasn't really. And I think because in the early eighties, when I was riding, when I started to ride bikes, there were so few few women riding, and I I kind of kept to myself a lot. I didn't really get involved with. Um, I mean, it was just a different time then, um, and the you know community that exists now it just wasn't like that then I mean you had local bike clubs and things but it was all very small and very local and and I kind of lived in central London and there just wasn't any anywhere really so and I was quite happy doing my own thing to be honest so um but now it's 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 fantastic because you I get to go to see all these places and meet all these really interesting people and it's just a whole world that I was kind of completely unaware of so it's it's been it's been fantastic and just back to the the female riders topic just briefly um have you have you been able to offer lots of words of encouragement or advice have you been contacted by women riders saying you know I I'd love to do something like this, but maybe I haven't got it in me or, you know, am I brave enough? What should I do? What are the first steps? 
I've had a few and I always sort of say, you know, the hardest thing is actually leaving. You know, you, you just have to take that big step and just leave. And, um, you know, and once you've done that, you, you kind of realise how easy it is and actually how, you know, despite what the media might say all the time, actually how safe a lot of the world is um, and how incredibly friendly and kind all the people that you'll meet are. So it's just taking that first step that, that I think people find very, very difficult, sort of taking themselves out of their comfort zone. So I think... Um, so I just try and encourage them and give them that little bit more of a push, so they will actually, you know, they will actually take the step and uh, you know and leave. And then, since we last met, you've also featured in a campaign about hundred pioneering women. How's that experience been? Uh, that was that, that was great actually, because Anita, who was the uh, person who was doing that, she, she's the photographer, and she started this project like ten years ago, because it takes like an awful long time to find a hundred pioneering women who are the first in their field of whatever it is, and um, so she started the project like like uh, sort of ten years, and the idea was the first exhibition was in two thousand and eighteen, which was was the centenary of women being given the vote so and so she contacted me probably uh about four years ago so before the book was published but she found me some stuff on me on on the um uh, uh internet and she contacted me and uh and said would i be like to be part of it and i said absolutely and of course you never know with these things whether anything's ever going to happen or whether it's whatever but i didn't really care i do these things because i liked what she was doing and um you know, and I, so I was, I was very happy to support her and be part of it. Um, but then, of course, it was another year and a half or two years before the exhibition was actually, um, you know. And what about the travelling? Do you still have the desire to travel, or did you get it out of your system all those years ago? Well, I've, I, I mean, I travelled a lot when I got back. I mean, I, I mean, in the last thirty years, I've travelled a lot. I mean, I'd say now, I, I, I mean, I'm actually going off to Tajikistan uh, on a bike trip. Um, I mean, I do, I mean, I, I don't know, I, I, I do like my comforts now, I have to say. <laughs> and I do, uh, you know, sleeping in a tent and all that, I, I really struggle with it. I know I shouldn't say that, but I really do. Um, and I do like my comforts now. So I'm, I'm, I suppose I'm a bit more picky where I go um, but I, I still love you know uh, you know I love to travel and I still think you know you know uh, you know a motorbike is still the best way I think to do it um, so yeah but I and, and obviously I do much shorter I, I can't take whole chunks of time off because of my work and things so what's in Tajikistan uh, it's just got lots of lovely mountains and it's fairly unspoiled and I just kind of like to have a look and so this will be the first time I haven't uh, yeah it's the first time I've never been to Tajikistan before so and if you like it there are a lot of other stands as well aren't there yeah I know (laughs) (laughs) so going back to that original trip if you can summarize um what do you think you learned most from that oh my goodness uh well, I obviously learned a lot about myself. Um, I think when you're kind of uh, pushed to your limits, uh, you really understand what you're capable of. 
Um, obviously, I saw a lot of the world. I learned a lot about other people, other cultures. I learned a lot about dealing with people and um, the best way to get people to do what you want them to do, <laughs> persuade them. Um, so I learned a lot about that. Um, and I think I just, it was, I think when I got back from my trip, I really felt as if I could cope and deal with anything. And I think that's what I really learned. And I, you know, there was not anything, there wasn't a problem I couldn't deal with or anything I couldn't solve. And, I, and that's, I've sort of taken through my work as well. A lot of the projects I take on are projects that most other architects won't touch because they are a nightmare. They're really difficult, really tricky. They, they People don't understand how they're going to um, deal with all the issues and all the technical problems with these very uh, difficult and unusual buildings and so a lot of architects go oh, I just cut off but they all seem to end up on my doorstep and I but I don't look at them as a problem I look at them as a opportunity an opportunity and a challenge <laughs> so um so I just view it in a different way and I think I think my trip and what I learned and experienced and just dealing with all the problems that I had to um, just taught me to just to tackle anything. So it, it seems to be a common theme among people who've done big journeys, uh, big long journeys as well, in that it gives them confidence coming back into the real world in inverted commas, you know, in their professional lives, whether they're starting out on something new or, or going back to what they were doing before. They seem to be able to attack it with with this sort of renewed confidence that that nothing is impossible. Yeah. it's just how you view it, how you approach yeah, it. Yeah, and I think and and I think the problems that you face sort of on the road when you're on your own in a foreign country and and you have to deal with these problems, it makes you realise that when you come home, the problems that you thought were problems when you were home actually weren't problems at all. <laughs> so it just puts things in perspective I think it's and and it's very and that's why I think I like to keep traveling all the time because then it reminds me I don't get lulled into this um, um, way of thinking that that, that, that that all these little things are problems and, and so I think it's important to keep traveling and and then it sort of keeps your keeps you in perspective of what's really important yeah it keeps you grounded doesn't it yeah, yeah. exactly what is it we say? First world problems. First world problems. <laughs> so would you still recommend overland travel in this day and age? I actually think overland travel in this day and age is probably more relevant than it was. And I think um, I think with all the media and the and the negative press that that a lot of the world you know gets, I think it sort of instills this sort of fear in people. Um, and I think that's a dangerous thing I think it's you know people are, uh, are frightened of what they don't understand and I think the best way to understand uh, people cultures other countries is to visit them and and go and see them so I think it's incredibly important that people I think it should be part of everybody's education to you know to travel and to see the world I think it's really really important what a great idea 
Now, on the original journey, there were lots of places that you went to, but there were also lots of places that you couldn't get to for, for a variety of reasons. So have you still got any of them on your bucket list, uh, apart from Tajikistan? <laughs> I'd like to go to Bhutan, actually. I can highly recommend it. I'd love to go to Bhutan. Um, I would like to go to... I've done some of South America, but I haven't got such a huge continent. I haven't done. So there's certainly um, some countries in South America I would like to return or I'd like to get to. Um, well, that's probably about it, actually. There's not a lot. Yeah, well, I can put you in contact with someone in Bhutan. But did you know that the king of Bhutan rides a GS? Yes! <laughs> Seriously? Yes. How brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, so Brilliant. There's definitely a connection there for sure. So, you of course, you've got your um, day job running your own architect's practice. Um, does your background story often become a talking point with your clients? Well, actually, quite a lot of my clients, um, when I first go and, go and see them, they because obviously they Google looking for an architect, and then all this other stuff comes up about my motorcycling and... Blah, blah, blah. and um, and they often say, oh, yes, I've, we found all this stuff on the internet about you riding motorbikes. <laughs> so it does come up. And actually, I've got a few jobs, I think, because the people have been motorcyclists themselves. And so, and then I went to see a client recently for a job, and I think a friend of theirs had actually uh, had, a, had, had my book, which I'd signed for him, which I, I don't recall. Um, so, yeah, it does, it does definitely come up. So it's been a good icebreaker and it's it's been a door opener in some parts. Yeah, it has. Yeah. yeah, it has. And of course, where you are in Surrey, it's pretty busy. Do you still do you often ride your bike to um, site meetings or client visits at, at certain um, times of the year? I ride my bike during the summer. I'm not really a winter uh, rider much anymore. Um, but I do during the summer months. I will I, I will use my bike and go to site visits and visit sites and go to clients. And some of them look slightly oddly at me, but. <laughs> and how is the slash six? Is is she still? Slash six is still going, still going strong. Um, yeah, I take. I, I don't ride her a huge amount. To be fair, I I tend to ride her to because if I do talks and presentations and things, people say, "Oh, can you ride your bike?" And so if it's not a million miles away, then I will I will ride. And I and during the summer, I quite like to give her a, you know a bit of a run out. So um, I but no, she's still going. She's still going strong. So. Of course, 2020 is the 40th anniversary of the GS. Um, and as well as your Slash 6, I know that you've got, or at least you had, a beautiful uh, R80 GS Basic from 1980. It's not, it's, no, it's 1998. Is it's it actually, 98? It's actually the Kalahari. It was the one that apparently that was just for the South African market initially. That's what I was told. Okay. South African market, and it was called the Kalahari. And, it, and they're all the same, white with a blue frame. And uh, and then I don't know what happened after that. So so, but yeah. So it's a ninety. Yes, it's a nineteen ninety eight eight model. So how long have you had that one now? Then I bought it two thousand and three. So I've had that well, whatever fifteen twenty years, fifteen years. And so. what do you, what do you love in particular about that bike? You're obviously uh, not planning on selling it to I'm me. I'm absolutely not planning on selling <laughs> it. I I, it's, I love it. I actually almost think it's the perfect bike because. Um, it is it's basic and that's what i love about it you know i can service it i can fix it um it's not full of electronics um and i think for 
riding around the world or doing a long trip, it's actually for me you know I don't I suppose I suppose in my mind I'm more used to having to look after myself on the side of the road because I didn't travel with all the you know the you know the internet and all the rest of it to help you so it's very like my old uh, slash six so I can easily work on it uh, myself I can service it all myself um, it's got no electronics um, and I just like I just like the thought of always being able to fix it on the side of the road with a basic box of tools. And I think that's just because I did that long trip and that's just ingrained in the way I think about, um, you know, doing trips on bikes. I, I, I like to be able to, to fix it anywhere or certainly to be able to feel that I can fix it anywhere. It's a state of mind, isn't it? You know, I think a, it is. A peaceful feeling yeah. of confidence in yeah. a way. And I mean, I think all these newer bikes, I mean, they're fantastic. They're a lot more reliable, probably. Um, but I mean, I wouldn't know where to start with them. And if they go wrong, it's kind of, ah, you know, so. And I just don't like that. I, I like to know about my bike. I like to be able to think I can take the engine apart and fix it and put it back together again. What was the reason that you didn't opt for a GS originally? Was it because they were too new at the time, too expensive maybe? And, to be and, honest. And to be honest, also maybe unproven. It was early days. No, I days. don't think it was that, to be honest. I don't think I really knew about them. <laughs> well, I, well, that's not true. I bought my bike in 1979, and I'm not sure when the no, first GS came. It was yeah. 1980. Yeah. So when I bought my R60, they didn't exist. Ah, okay, got it. So that's why. Um, although I left in 82, and they, obviously the GS had been out for two years, I'd already bought my, my, you know, my R60 by then. Did you buy the R60 um, because of the way it looked? Because it's still, it's a, still a stunning-looking look, bike now, isn't it? Yeah, well, hmm. I bought my R60, that's quite complicated, because at the time I was in love with this guy called Alex, who I was at, 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 you know, university with, and it was a friend of him, his, who was selling the bike. So it was really more that that's just the bike that was being, that was being offered to me. I mean, I knew I wanted to buy a BMW, um, and because in those days, I mean, now there's such a wide range of different bikes, but in those days, if you wanted... You know, there was a, you know, there were the sort of ch cheaper bikes and then there was the BMW, which was just kind of just streets ahead of everything else. And if you wanted to do a long trip or anything like that, I mean, you just didn't think about using any, or I certainly didn't think about using any other bike but a BMW. I mean, they were just in a different league to what other bikes you could buy then. I mean, now, obviously, it's probably closed a bit, but it was, it was... And I just knew I just I just knew I wanted a BMW, um, and the fact it was a sixty-stroke six, I didn't really know much about them at all. I didn't, you know, I didn't educate myself in all the different, you know, models or anything. It was just uh, it just happened to be the bike that this friend of Alex's was was selling. Well, it did the job just and fine, <laughs> and, and you did the job just fine as well. I mean, I love that bike, and I also love the fact that you're still riding riding it. So. Uh, Thanks for talking to us, Elspeth. Where can people find this book if they haven't found it already? Uh, well, it's available at all, all bookshops, I'm told, uh, Amazon. And um, if you want a signed copy, then you can buy it on my website, which is um, just elspethbeard.com. Uh, and I'll send you a signed copy. Um, 
So yeah, and there's an audio book available and also Kindle uh, version as well. Brilliant. Any thoughts or discussions about translation into another language yet? Ah, yes. I signed, uh, this was part of last year, I signed a deal with a Spanish publisher, so they're translating it into Spanish and into Italian at the moment. I've had inquiries from a French publisher and also one in Poland, which is, but that's all early days with that. So, Brilliant. Um, it's a good job I asked these questions. <laughs> You're not very good at promoting yourself, are you? <laughs> No, not really. That's fa- that's absolutely fantastic <laughs> news. That's brilliant. Yeah, no, it's really good. Oh, superb. So, any sort of timeline on when that might be happening? Uh, I signed the Spanish and Italian uh, publishing contract in uh, November of last year. So, literally two or three months ago. Okay. So, they are translating it now. They've fantastic. started to, to translate it. But I think this it's going to be a year probably. Um, I think these things take take time. Well, keep us posted and we'll uh, let everybody know when those are ready. (laughs) It's been great talking to you. It's been great catching up again with you, Elspeth. And thanks uh, thanks for uh, having us here. Thank you, Andy. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to chat with Elspeth. If you've not read Lone Rider yet, I thoroughly recommend it, although it'll definitely make you want to escape on your own road trip. So be careful what you wish for. And great news that it's going to be published in several other languages too, so it can reach many more adventure riding fans. I hope you've enjoyed listening to Elspeth today and be sure that we'll be back very soon with the next episode of Ride and Talk. Bye for now.